The Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny, only NFL podcast. One of the hosts thinks pits are misunderstood, both the breed and the tight end, who we're going to talk about today, because we are finally at the NFC South. Thank you for your patience. NFC South fans of the Saints, the Panthers, the Falcons, the Bucks. Um, I wanted to talk about this division last because of all of the uncertainty at quarterback. I wanted the opportunity when I looked at the schedule to like see the Bryce Young play to, well, we didn't get to see Desmond Ritter play, but I did went back and watched Desmond Ritter to see what the heck's happening in Tampa. Actually also to see Derek Carr, new quarterback, new team. There's so much uncertainty and I am so excited for my guest today. Um, John Ledyard, you have, we wear a lot of different hats, one of which I have mentioned on this show. I have told my listeners to go check out uh, the Read Optional podcast that you and Ollie Connolly, who has been on my show a bunch, do. It is absolutely fantastic. Um, but what are all, I feel like you do a lot of different things. Yeah, I do. And I, I've come not even in full time in sports media now, but I, I just certainly run my own sub stack and um, produce podcasts there, audibles and analytics. And so I enjoy producing content there when uh, it's available to me. But most of the time I work with youth uh, these days and uh, kind of a leadership training role and stuff like that. So I enjoy that parts of it too, but still very plugged in. The job is very flexible in the non-summer months. And so I get lots of opportunities to watch tape and analyze teams and stay engaged in the game. So I get to do a lot of different things I love, which is awesome. I should mention you cover the Bucks, which is why I picked the mm-hmm. NFC South for you. But you have very confusing fandoms and allegiances. Like you're kind of a Steelers fan, but then you're like a Phoenix Suns fan. But you cover the Bucks. <laughs> I don't really understand why you cover the Bucks, but I but I do know you cover the Bucks. Yes, it's true. Yes, yeah, so I I'm a Steelers fan. I grew up a Steelers fan. I grew up outside Pittsburgh. Steelers, Penguins, Pirates. As much as I get into baseball, which because of the Pirates is not that much, uh, unfortunately, but picked an NBA team when I was a kid. There's no team anywhere close to me. I loved the NBA when I was a kid. Picked a team that wasn't going to be like the Lakers or the Sixers or the Celtics, one of the teams all my friends picked. And it just, yeah, it picked the Suns. And now they're obviously pretty exciting, but there was a long drought in there. People don't even forget about that. 12 years of not making the playoffs. That was tough. And yeah, so I, and I just happened to spend a couple of years of my life covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which was happened to be a month before uh, Tom Brady signed there is when I started yeah. doing that. So yeah, it was a fun couple seasons. So I, I do have a lot of followers uh, that follow me for my Bucks coverage and uh, the podcast does orient toward the Bucks at times for sure. So I've got some background there that I'm sure we'll draw from today. We will. Uh, the Bucks are confusing. The whole division is confusing. I'm, I'm really glad to have you on because I want to kind of make sense of it. I want to arrive at, I, I have like changed my division winner several times thinking about this division, frankly. Um, I think right now I've got it in sort of two tiers and there are two teams that I'm kind of oscillating between uh, in terms of winning the division. One of those teams is the New Orleans Saints. I I think we should start there. Um, This is going to sound really dumb. I felt myself being a little too convinced by the drive the Derek Carr drive against the Kansas City Chiefs ones uh mm-hmm. but it was it looked so good uh now this so uh the preseason week one the Saints starters did play the Chiefs mostly starters although Chris Jones notably did not play right. and by the way Chris Jones maybe the biggest winner of preseason week one based on 
the performance of that Chiefs defensive line without him against the Saints offensive line, who I thought looked pretty good. But the whole thing looked good. The whole operation looked so smooth. It was kind of like a perfect case study for what the Saints probably pitched to Derek Carr, what they are pitching to their fans this year. Like this is a quarterback that is a really good fit for what we want to do in this offense. Balls out quick. Michael Thomas is on the field. Suddenly this receiver group looks awesome when you have when you throw Michael Thomas into the mix and everybody kind of slides a position. It's a really talented group. Camara looks good running off tackle is catching a screen for 17 yards. Trevor Penning looks like everything just looked so good. So I don't want to overreact to it, but it, 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 you know, especially when there's so much uncertainty with the rest of the division, you're like, Oh, this is a professional NFL quarterback with talent around. That's how I felt watching it. So right. talk me out of it. Talk me down or agree with me. Let me know what you think. Well, I think that there, there's clearly the highest floor, right? In the South is, is belongs to the Saints. I don't think there's much question there. I mean, you know, the question really revolving around them probably all season will be what is Carr's ceiling um, as yeah. a guy that, especially at now he's outside of kind of the, there was a lot of dysfunction with the Raiders. Let's put it that way and move on. But there a lot of dysfunction that he went through all the time that he was there in a new environment that has been a pretty healthy cultural environment, sports cultural environment there with the Saints, you know, a, a winning environment, tons of veteran leadership and experience in the playoffs and all those things in a different setting. Can there be a higher ceiling than we've kind of come to know of Derek Carr um, over the course of his career? And that's that's really where the biggest questions lie, I think, with the Saints. There's no question looking at them. To me, this roster is the best roster in the NFC South, the most proven roster in the NFC South. Um, even if the O-line and D-line isn't quite what we're used to seeing from this group, it's still a very passable group. They still have decent depth. It's not certainly what we're used to, especially in the secondary, but it's still good enough in all the key areas. And they said this offseason, we don't care about 2024 and 2025. We are trying to get back to doing, in 2023, we're trying to get back to doing what the Saints are known for doing. It's winning NFC South titles. That, that some, some of their fans may say, what about Super Bowl titles? And they'll say NFC South titles, because that's what we're about. They're about the winners of NFC South titles. And so they think that with the group they've put together this year, which prioritizes the short-term goals over the long-term goals, they have the worst cap situation in the NFL in 2024 and 2025, and their bottom five right now for 2026, which is too far out. We don't know what that's going to look like. But it just goes to show this is a team. They prioritize the short term over the long term, and they're going to see how far that can take them in an NFC that's fairly weak compared to the AFC. I want to I want to talk about Derek Carr, and I do want to talk about last year for a little bit, which was not only fairly disastrous, obviously, but very weird. It was a weird season for him, and that really shows up in the numbers, which I find really interesting. Like, statistically, a lot of the things that Derek Carr did poorly last year and also did well, I want to throw out in, in moments, were not who he has been over the course of his career. Just throwing out a few for you. He had the fourth highest average depth of target in the NFL, which we know is not. In fact, in many years, that's been a major frustration of mine with Derek Carr because I actually think he does throw a really nice deep ball, but there was an unwillingness to at points in his career. Um he had a high, he had the highest interception rate of his career. He was actually better outside the pocket than inside the pocket last year. He was kind of better when he was just freelancing and making plays. Um, he was not good in rhythm on throws under 2.5 seconds. He was 28th in QBR. He had the eighth highest time to throw. Again, totally unlike who he has been as a quarterback. And I think that reflected how disjointed the offense was, how him and Josh McDaniels just never 
saw eye to eye. And and I think the best Derek Carr plays were just him kind of fi- fighting, you know, F it Devontae's down there somewhere kind of stuff. But when you think about the Saints and the skill group that they have, they're betting on, okay, that's not who he is. Who he is is a guy who is accurate, who is good throwing in rhythm. The ball's going to come out quick. Um, he's not going to throw a lot of interceptions. Do you think he can get back to being that guy, assuming, you know, with these pieces around him? And if so, how good do you think this offense is? Yeah, I think that, I mean, whether he can get back to being that guy is such an interesting point because he has been, I mean, what he had his best year the year before that, the year before last, and there was this kind of, yeah. oh, like he might be a little better than we thought he was, but the year before we were down on him. You know, I think everybody was kind of down on him and or most people were at least. And so he, there has been some level of inconsistency there with him, especially I think people point to big moments and moments where they felt like he could have been the guy in key moments of games and drives and situations, certainly. And I think that's, a, those are fair criticisms, although they're fairly anecdotal compared to what we have just as large sample size stats, like you're, like you're reading now, you know, I think the questions for him is going to be, I think what, what kind of, scheme do they put around him? Like, well, how do they build this thing around him in terms of what he likes to do? You mentioned it really well in terms of his ability to stretch the field. Like, does he have the propensity to do it enough? Because he is good at it. And that was what I felt like they tapped into that last year a little bit, but nothing else really seemed to work. So it's like, if he could just put all the parts of the seasons that he's had together in one season, especially with Olave, and you think about the verticalness of that offense with all the weapons they have, like that could be a really fun and exciting group. But we just haven't really seen all the pieces come together with him and the culture come together because the Raiders have had so much dysfunction. So I am curious to see what it looks like with the Saints. I think he can be the best version we've seen of Derek Carr in the NFL. I don't know whether that's enough to compete for Super Bowl, things like that. I know the NFC is down, and that is certainly going to be a footnote to everything we talk about probably even in this division. Um, But I I do think that that he can be that version of Carr in in, in the Saints. If Michael Thomas is healthy, the biggest if you know, that exists in football, maybe. Yeah. Where would you put this group of skill players? Like, in, I mean, I don't need you to actually, like, rank them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, give me a range. Because we're talking about, and I think I, I tweeted about this, and Saints fans were mad because I was like, Olave slides to two. I was thinking more like XYZ. But, like, my point is, Olave was awesome last year. Rashid Shaheed, that, that was an interesting one for me to go back and watch his targets because yeah. it's, it's, it's a very comical sample size because every target was like 20 yards but they were those were not easy catches he was making like it wasn't like he was just running goes and and wide open like he had to make some contested catches and adjust for some pretty poorly poorly thrown balls um so you have them and then you have obviously thomas in the mix juan johnson looks like a dude at tight end like so how where would you stack up that group not just in this division because well the, the falcons are so funky it's like almost hard to rank them but like where do you think they fit in the NFL? I'd say they're, I'd say they're probably higher than people would think of them based on last season and just how much the struggles that offense had. I mean, this is clearly the top half of the league, I think, group. But there are a lot of like question marks and ifs too, right? Like we, we're not totally sure what version of Kamara or Michael Thomas will get, and they're somewhat dependent on, on that, I think, um, for sure. Like it, it's a clearly a good group, but if those two are like for some reason at the top of their games, which I'm not sure that's realistic to expect with Michael Thomas at this point. I thought last year when he played, he actually looked pretty good, but <laughs> I don't know. That we, <laughs> yeah, like when he played. It's, just, yeah. it's, yeah. just, it's hard to know what to expect there. Ideally, in an ideal world, let's just pretend for a second that they're at the top of their game. I mean, a guy with Michael Thomas's skill set paired with, paired with Rashid Shahid and Chris Olave. so well together. They're, it's right. like a perfect group. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like – 
truly, and you have kind of your do-it-all piece in Alave, I think. You have definitely a vertical ball guy, but not just a vertical ball Ted Ginn style guy, but a guy with actual ball skills, yes. which to me, like th that's the biggest difference between a, a vertical, a good vertical receiver and a great one is like, how do they address the ball as it's arriving? Like, can they consistently address the ball in such a way that they're able to come up with a completion? And I think that's what you have. I mean, Traquan Smith may not have been over the last couple of years what they kind of envisioned him becoming, but they're that this term four wide receiver. Like he can block a little bit. He can play inside. He can play outside. I mean, it's a good group, but again, Michael Thomas would be like the chain mover possession guy. You know, he's a little bit slippery after the catch, but he's not like a game breaker perhaps anymore. But even if he's at 75, 80% of his powers, I think that's a really good receiver room. And then we'll see with AT Perry. I'm not buying an all preseason hype that's out there. Certainly. Cause if so, you'd be buying every rookie in the league basically at this point, but there's certainly some of that with him. And I know there were some fans of him pre-draft, so we'll see what happens with him. And then obviously in the backfield, you've got people are excited about country Miller. We'll see. I know he got hurt a little bit, but I think he's, he's going to be okay. Jamal Williams is here. And if Kamara comes back into the fold after the suspension, then, you know, perhaps he's a factor as well. It, it's a deeper backfield. The tight end room is kind of role players right now, but Jawan Johnson is a red zone guy, perhaps developing into more of a full field guy. Now that's exciting. So it's clearly a good group. It's clearly a group to me that should win the NFC South. The questions are, is the quarterback play going to be at the highest level we've seen from Carr? If it is, to me, they win the South. I don't think it's maybe as close as some other people do, but I think yeah. that's the legit question mark is like, do you get Pete Carr or not? I, I think actually, too, if Carr plays in that 9 to 12 range where he's kind of been various points in his career, mm -hmm. I actually don't think it really matters if Michael Thomas is healthy the entire season because I just do like this group so much, even without i'm like you know the alave thing made me laugh because i was like i'm like i voted for him for offensive rookie of the year took a ton of for it i think mm -hmm. he's amazing he um i also think um camara who's kind of used weirdly last year i i don't know like it was it was obviously a down year for him and some of that was the run blocking but he was he looked really bad running between the tackles it's not really his game at this point mm -hmm. i think maybe with a more balanced running back room um, and some more spacing created by the passing game. He could have a bounce back year. Also as a receiver too. It was so encouraging. Again, I don't want to overrate this one drive to, to watch that screen was like so beautifully executed. I don't know if you, uh, it was just like, oh, the blockers are in space and Kamara, yeah. and it's like thrown well and everything. This is, you're like, oh, hey, this is, this is the Saints offense we watched with Drew Brees for all of these years. It, frankly, it really reminded me, John, like watching it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I felt myself drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. So I am optimistic about this offense. I am also optimistic about the defense, um, despite the fact that they are a human Jenga tower where you keep removing pieces, but it doesn't seem to matter. They still have really, really good players at all three levels. Uh, I think the secondary is awesome. You know, Ante Taylor breakout last year at corner. Uh, hopefully Pete Werner coming back from injury. He made a couple of nice plays in the preseason game playing next to mm -hmm. Mario Davis. Little concerned about the pass rush. And I think that's kind of the only thing I really want to uh, drill down on. Um, it was an interesting year last year because um, they got a ton of sacks, but all of the underlying metrics are really bad. Uh, yeah. Some of that has to do with the way they play, but some of that ha you know, has to do, I think, with they did get a little bit lucky you take out Onyemata, mm -hmm. Davenport, who's injured some. You bring in Kalen Saunders, who uh, played in the preseason. You draft Brian Brissy, 
you draft Isaiah Foskey, you know, those are they're, they're young players. You hopefully you get something more out of Peyton Turner. It strikes me as like probably when I look at this roster from top to bottom, that's probably the one area that I actually have the most questions about on both sides mm-hmm. of football. I think so. I mean, th- it's not because it's been where their strength is. Like as much as people have talked about, obviously when you have head coach and quarterback stability, your strength is it, it exists there as well. But I mean, there's clearly like this is a team that's been built on the lines. They've developed through the draft on the lines. Like they have prioritized that. They understand that's where football games are won. That's their full philosophy. And so to see this defensive line group, yeah, I mean, it's a lot riding on Cam Jordan. I think still like is he still capable of being that kind of a player? Um, I don't know that he is, but I think that there were flashes last year and times in games certainly where he still was. So I kind of will believe that there's a sharp decline there when I see it. I still think he'll be an impact player. Shepard and Saunders, guys that I think everybody had their big draft crushes on these guys coming out. So it's funny that they're both with what's been a pretty good defensive tackle spot to land. You know, when you think about the way they drafted on Yamana and developed him and just over the years, the way they've developed a lot of these big bodied types, you know, Shepard, can he play outside inside a little bit? Um, Saunders was this athletic freak. Remember everybody talking about his backflips and stuff at, at training camp and he's going to be so good and it didn't really work out in Kansas city. So there's a lot of kind of upside guys. Brissy's kind of the same way, right? There were all these tools yeah. early on at Clemson. It looked like he was going to be a top five pick early on in the draft process. People were like mocking him. They're real high. And then, as people got to watching the tape, they're like, yeah, it's not that good yet. Like he plays with a real high pad level. There's certainly some issues with his get off at times. And, but there's tools there, right? Like he plays hard. He's physical. He's, he's athletic. Um, can, can he overcome some of the lack of flexibility and the lack of a pass rush plan? And can he be someone that they develop? So I think it's more of a group with like just raw upside than actual talent right now, like actual developed skill. Yeah which is going to affect them. They, over the years, have not been a blitz-heavy team at all. And we'll talk about that when we talk about the Falcons as well. Ryan Nielsen coming from the Saints and, and what he was bringing to Atlanta philosophy-wise, they've been a team that hunts matchups on the defensive line. They hunt guys that they can attack, and then they scheme up twists and games and things like that and simulated pressures, and then they attack that way. If they aren't threatening at any one spot this year, that becomes way harder. They almost have to rely solely on that instead of building off the fact they're good as a four rush, four man group rushing. Now they have to get a little more creative and do a little bit more. It's possible with their personnel, but right now there's still a lot riding on Cam Jordan to be kind of like the dominant dynamic player was in his prime. And I don't know that that's fair expectation for him at this point mm. in his career. He did backflip off the ground. I don't know if you saw that <laughs> at 34. I was like, oh my God. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that you kind of hit what I was getting at, which is it feels like, I think the talent at the second and third levels make it such that there's always going to be a pretty high floor. They're also, you know, they played together. They're extremely well coached on the back end. I mean, the secondary is really good. You know, I thought Matthew was like quietly like awesome last year after I, I, I was kind of low on him at the end in Kansas City. I thought he bounced back and played really well, honestly. Um, it, so I think that the fact that they're so good in coverage does make everything easier up front. But it feels like for them to stay in the top 10, which they, again, they like they just can, someone had to do with competition. And by the way, it's not getting that much harder this year because the mm-hmm. Saints have the easiest schedule in the NFL, according to mm-hmm. FCN. Um, but I feel like for them to be truly great, you need one of those players that we, we mentioned a, a ton of them. One of them has to take a leap, mm-hmm. whether it's the, the new guys they drafted this year, whether it's Peyton Turner, who's battled injuries and sort of not really shown much so far in the NFL. Um, or even Saunders coming in and providing some interior push. One of them has to be 
good, like, like right. really, really good. And I don't know who that is, honestly, just like looking at the group. It's, I mean, you know, you got rookies, question marks. Um, so yeah, I think that's, and then when we, in more holistically, like I, like what we're talking about, I don't think we'll stop them from potentially winning the division. But when mm -hmm. we think about you posited, what is really the big question, I think New Orleans Saints, which is like, okay, you can win the division, but can you compete with Dallas, San Francisco, um, and Philadelphia? It's like, okay, Derek Carr kind of in put wrapping up on this. Derek Carr needs to be that guy. And I think you need one, one of your defensive linemen to play at that level. Yeah. So I think you need a lot of your draft trends to turn around too. You know, the saints became this great franchise that could do whatever they wanted with the cap because they just kept drafting so well, right. They would draft in the back end of the first, they would draft later in the, in later rounds and, and they would hit on picks. And no matter how good you are, we've seen the studies like that is a dangerous way to live consistently. Like you just can't quite continue building. The bucks are going through that right now, right? The last couple drafts haven't been as fruitful. They were picking near the back of the draft. They picked the last pick in the first round and they end up moving to 33 for Logan Hall. They haven't got anything out of those picks really. And so they are kind of experiencing that now, but the saints are experiencing that as well from 2018 to 2021, really like that's a couple drafts and that's like about four drafts they didn't have much in the way of high level difference making players. And some of that's because of where they were drafting that made it hard. I'm not necessarily blaming their process. I think their process has been proven to be one of the better ones in the NFL in terms of evaluation. It's just the reality of drafting. It's very difficult. One of those picks is Davenport. Is it Davenport's fault? Like he's just been injured consistently when he's played. He's looked good. Like it's just, yeah. but that's why it's so hard to put all that stock in those types of players. Cause you're looking at replenishing, replenishing, replenishing. And we just they haven't seen it happen. So the last two drafts, Alave and some of these other guys they've drafted, you mentioned Werner, Trevor like Penning, Werner. a ton riding on him this year. Yeah. Those are big ones for them. We shall see. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it's a, it's an interesting roster, interesting questions. I think ultimately I did end up having them at uh, at the top, which is mm -hmm. why I wanted to start with them and all of that. But Falcons made it a little difficult. So I guess we, let's talk about the Falcons next because they're just like the, um, you know, in like Wayne's World, the Scooby-Doo ending. They're like the Scooby-Doo team in the NFL because they're just so freaking weird and they're just doing things so differently offensively. Defensively, it's a little bit more conventional what they did and you mentioned Nielsen I do want to get into that because I think that's going to be really probably what determines okay can this team actually compete for the division but I want to talk about the offense because the offense is is nuts um before we get to the scheme and just how different they are from the rest of the NFL I want I want to take stock of Ritter and how you feel about him uh he did not play week one I think he's going to play week two uh, a little bit um so I did go back to prepare for this and watched his four starts. Um, and uh, it was the Saints, Ravens, who he really struggled against, the Cardinals and the Bucks, who played a bit better. They're okay. <laughs> you're, you're like, try not to be too mean, but it just wasn't. I, I, I don't know. I think I. Everybody was like, oh, he was really, really good in weeks. And I was like, right. was he? I mean, you saw some of the things you liked about him in college. He flashed some of the athleticism, which is, I think, going to be very important mm -hmm. in this offense. Um, he's clearly smart. He understands the offense, which rocks. Uh, but, you know, they, he really was not pushing the ball downfield. I don't mm -hmm. think so, in some cases, I think he was not asked to. I think they were just like, yo, like the, the governor was on some cases. Guys were open. He was just not not trying yeah. 
Um, how did you feel about him, you know, in those four starts? And how do you feel about him headed into this season? I think the phrase that the game is too fast for you is overused. Probably it's just people just throw it out there when a young player struggles. Like, oh, it's an easy way to put a blanket on it. But that is specifically what it looked like for Ritter at times. Like, there's all this talk about his intelligence and his smarts, and that was his calling guard throughout the pre-draft process. And I kind of believe that that's true. I'm inclined to believe that people who've talked to him and are speaking in that level with him know that that's true, at least on a whiteboard, that that's true. Mm -hmm. And as he applies it to the game, I think those traits can come out but it just looked like it was all moving too quick for him. Like the decisions with the ball were not coming fast enough. So that resulted in holding the ball and maybe questioning windows he should have thrown into. And some of that could be the fact that we're not talking about the most physically gifted quarterback probably here. But I think those things can be overcome if you process, trust the offense, trust the system that you're in, you feel comfortable, you get the ball out on time. I mean, guys like Joe Burrow have showed that that's going to be coming. I know that's a lofty comparison for Ritter, but like that is at least like the prototype, right? That we're hoping that he can be a guy that at least can execute the point and shoot stuff well. And if everything else can be true about Arthur Smith's offense, like if he can at least do those kind of things well, what's the ceiling for this group? Is it higher than the Saints? Like, are they able to hang with a team like that? Yeah. So I think everybody's really excited about Atlanta and I get why, like they finally actually have players who we know their names on defense, which is encouraging. And there offensively, like there's this crazy group. You mentioned the weirdest team in the league. We're talking about the personnel stuff and the formations and all that stuff. I'm sure in a second, but they're, they're, the crux of it all is like that at quarterback, they have literally probably one of the biggest question marks in the entire league. And that's the most important position on the field. It feels like if you dropped, let's just say Derek Carr, for example, into this team, like, in, or a quarterback of a, of a similar, um, from a similar, from a value perspective that was similar to Carr, then you would probably get a, an easy division winner here because of how much you believe in the coaching and how much we believe in some of the new players that they brought in and just the, the mismatch of talent that this team has that they're going to use in a really fun way, I think, this season. But the reality is that that most important position of the field, I, I don't believe in Ritter that much. I hope he changed my mind because we need more young, good quarterbacks in the league. But I didn't yeah. see enough to really be convinced that he's going to be that guy this season. I, I mean, it's a, it, it, it should be a fairly bumper bowling style offense, which is part of the reason why everyone's so high on him. Like, it should not be hard to play quarterback for the Atlanta mm -hmm. Falcons. For I keep saying, we'll get to it. We're going to talk about it. But I think it's kind of similar to the Saints thing, or at least when we talk about expectations. Okay, the difference for me between being an offense that's, you know, maybe ninth and DVO, I don't know, whatever – versus one of the better offenses in the NFL is going to be when you get those one on one because you're gonna he's gonna face he's gonna get so many one on ones in this offense. He's gonna be so many opportunities to throw the ball downfield because of the way defenses are gonna have to play them. Can he deliver the ball accurately um and be explosive? And that is, I think, a total question mark. Um yeah. didn't really see it, you know? So I think that's kind of like Arthur Smith wants him to be Tannehill and that's what Tannehill could do for him. And I think it's kind of an open question. I think, so I think for me, it's going to be like, is this an a minus B plus offense? That's really fun and cool. Or is it like one of the better offenses in the league? That's where the quarterback probably provides the distinction. I think it is. Yeah. And I think that, that I heard uh, it was, it was Nate Tyson, Robert Mays were doing their top offenses the other day. And I was like, Listen Nate to loves them. Atlanta. Yeah, he loves Atlanta. And I like oh trust God. Nate's opinion so much. Yeah. So when he put him like fourth or whatever in his offense, oh. I was like, wow, like that is crazy. Like, again, it's even high. just in terms of belief, right? Like to yeah. believe in a quarterback we have just not seen anything on that level from. But that speaks to what we're talking about with Arthur Smith. Like from a 
and from the background Nate's drawn from, especially from somebody who understands the game at such a high level, X's and O's wise, the challenges that Smith in preparing for his offense presents to you as a defense are not only daunting, but they're also extremely unique. You are not, you don't get practice preparing for something like this. Let's get into it. Let's just kind of talk about what, you know, cause you guys have probably heard me and a million people pundits talk about this with Atlanta, the concept of positionless football. Mm-hmm. Um, so in sum, Atlanta is going to probably play the least amount of 11 personnel in the NFL this year. Although um, I think last year it was second least, but Baltimore's second obviously least, yeah. changing their stripes a lot. Um, and so just in its simplest form, let's say they come out in 22. So two running backs, two tight ends. I expect them to play a lot of 22. They played it yeah. uh, 11% last year, which is not a lot. I expect that number to go way up. You're a defense. You're looking at <laughs> coming out, and I don't know what the hell the formation is. Like, who knows who's lined up where? But one of those running backs is Bijan Robinson. One of those tight ends is Kyle Pitts. The other running back could be Algier, could be Patterson. Mm-hmm. Other tight end is probably going to be a more blocking, you know, maybe John who's at the move. I don't know, whatever. How you play them, you're kind of screwed either way because – if you play them to stop the run, and by the way, last year in 22, I just ran this. They, they ran 74% of the time. Well, that's going to change. Yeah. So you play the run. One of those two guys I mentioned is going to get a sick matchup and you're screwed. You play the pass. They're going to run the ball. They're really good at running the ball. Bijan Robinson is an awesome running back. So you're just constantly compromised by the personnel groupings that create mismatches and the formational diversity because – all of these guys are doing everything right now in this offense. Uh, it's a, just a horrible, horrible position to be in as a defense. Yeah, oh, it is. It's, <laughs> it's brutal. Like Because last year, just to give you an example, like the amount of things you have to prepare for in terms of communication, which like I remember just coaching high school ball and just knowing that when we went up it's a team that was going to come out multiple formations, it just enhanced all your the amount of preparation you had to do in terms of the amount of looks you have to do each week and everything like that, which in the NFL, full-time job, maybe it's less daunting, but it's still like this is a daunting thing. Like last year, you mentioned it, 11 personnel, 28% of the time. That's 31st in the league. Okay, so 27th percent of the time, he was in 12 personnel. That's that's a pretty healthy amount. I think that was like middle of the road, kind of in the league, like 13, something like that. 22% of the time, he's in 21 personnel. This doesn't even make sense. A guy that's in three different personnel groups and he's 20 plus percent of the time just doesn't really happen in today's NFL. And so, A, who's even in those personnel groupings is fascinating of itself, especially this year. Last year, it wasn't as fascinating. Like the idea of, now, keep in mind, they were still seventh best in EPA per play in the NFL on first down. So when they were doing what they wanted to do and down and distance didn't matter and they were attacking you how they wanted to on first down, seventh best EPA per play in the NFL, that doesn't even make sense. Like they, you and I were out there playing wide receiver for them. I mean, we could have been. Like it was <laughs> it just matter. like, it was matter. Just, yeah. I mean, it was Drake London and a bunch of dudes because Kyle Pitts was hurt. And now Pitts is back and we know what we thought of him, certainly at the time. I mean, we're talking about what most people would consider as, Maybe one of the best, if not the best running back prospect of the last 10 years and probably the best type. People talked about Pitts as the best tight end prospect ever. And so even just those two weapons, like in the versatility you have when Pitts can be an X receiver or an inline tight end and Robinson can be an uh, an outside receiver, a slot from the backfield. Like even just those two weapons represent tons of challenges because a linebacker is almost off the table. You need to have three safeties to play these guys. Yeah, I, I was thinking about like which defenses would be equipped to play them. The Patriots was the best one that that's, I could come up with. Yeah, but, exactly. But I have most- my notes here. Like I, to me, <laughs> Arthur Smith wants to be the Bill Belichick 
of offense, right? How Belichick has yeah. taken, I mean, right now you look at the Patriots, like 26 dudes deep and they can play everybody like because yeah. they have all these different versatile mismatching skill sets and array of traits and characteristics and matchup ability. Smith wants to be the offensive version of that. So you're exactly right. To me, Belichick would be the guy that matches up perfectly. With and, that. and the other thing that I think is um, really, I really want to stress this final thing with this team. And this is really when I was watching those last four games for the Ritter starts, and this is actually something where I think that distinguishes them a bit from San Francisco, where, I mean, you know, th th that's probably the most comparable thing to what we're describing, but yeah. San Francisco, I think, does have better skill players. Like, this is the sure. best in the league. This team is better at running the football. And when I was watching this offense, like, those last few games, just, like, teach tape on outside zone, man. Like, those run, like, the the offensive linemen are have gotten so good. And blocking and that's such an important piece to all of this because everything we're talking about is you you have that baseline of like okay you're gonna play a slide you're you don't think we're gonna run the ball we're gonna run the football mm -hmm. and they're, they're gonna run it so well and everybody's back it's not great if you're yeah. a defense because they can do that and they can do it at a really really high level and it's a credit to Arthur Smith and the staff, right? We really questioned whether yes. Atlanta had completely dropped the ball with some of these draft picks. Like, it was a couple of years in. Caleb McGarry was not looking good. Drew Dahlman, I remember when the game against the Bucks. I think it was oh. Arthur Smith's first year, they were playing two centers. Like, they he were was just awesome in some. I was just like, oh my God, yeah. is that Drew Dahlman? Like, yeah, sorry. Anyway, it's they crazy. Look great. It, it is. And I mean, Lindstrom even like to go for, I mean, he was yeah. fine, I think, all along, but now he's now like, he is, is he the best guard in the league? Like, type of conversation. And even Jalen Mayfield's out here killing people in the preseason. He looked like the biggest bust in the NFL when he first took the field. It's like this guy can't play at all. Like he's you can't even play him. And now they're suddenly a little bit deep on the on the line, and all their starters. It doesn't look like there's a weakness necessarily. Now we'll see. I still have some questions with McGarry, but overall, like the the point being that you have to feel a great about Matthew Bergeron if he's plugging into this line, getting them getting the absolute most out of him, and b just the fact that this group has gone from what was a huge question mark in Arthur Smith's yeah. first year to one of the better units in the league now. I mean, that speaks to what the direction this team is heading in on both sides. When we talk about the lines with the Saints, this team heading kind of in the opposite direction of, you know, now defensively we'll talk about very interesting yes. group, but offensively definitely well, heading in the right direction. Uh, the, the defense is, I think, kind of my hold up and ultimately why I was like, uh, I actually think that the offense could be better than New Orleans just because it's so such a, such a mind mm -hmm. F, but the defense, the thing about this group, and I do think they're going to be a lot better, granted very low bar, worst pass rush in the NFL the last few years, it doesn't usually work out when you bring in a bunch of free agents and right. you're betting on guys. You know, And that's it worked out for the Bengals, who I keep bringing, and it's obviously Jesse Bates is their safety from the Bengals. But, you know, a couple years ago, or maybe it was three years ago, when the Bengals really started rebuilding through free agency and bringing in all those Saints players and – I remember at the time being like, oh, this doesn't usually work. And then it worked part because they have one of the best defensive coordinators in football, but they made a lot of really good bets from a personnel perspective. You can see a world in which this defense does something similar. Um, you alluded to Ryan Nielsen coming from the Saints. He is clearly trying to rebuild it in their image. When you look at the players he's bringing in, they're good players, the players I like. But it often doesn't work. Um, mm. They're older, you know, some yeah. older guys too. So... I, they're going to be better, but like, how sure. good do you think they can really be? 
Yeah, that is the big question. I mean, because you're right. Like the floor is suddenly higher when the floor was very low last year. I mean, like I said, it was as soon as the wheels start coming off with Deion Jones, it was like AJ Terrell and the weeks that Grady Jarrett was really good, Grady Jarrett. But like there was nothing in terms of consistent dominance on this defense, really, even from an individual player standpoint. They're asking a lot of players that weren't very good. I remember when they would play the box and and I was covering the team thinking that for the beginning of games, a lot of the time, it looked like Atlanta just kind of had them solved. They knew what the Bucs were going to run. Mm. And then just from a coaching and preparation standpoint, I felt like they were just really prepared for the Bucs. And then as the game went on, it just didn't matter. Like the Bucs just had the dudes and like it just made the difference. So eventually they just broke through and they made more plays. And some of those games ended up ugly by the end, but I never felt like they were like severely out coached, especially when it came to their defense. It just seemed like they didn't have enough players uh, that were good. So fast forward to this year, Ryan Nielsen comes in, which I, I, I am... I'm very excited about that, I think, for them. Like, I'm excited just to see. I don't know anything much about him except for wanting to see more people come off that Saints tree. Like, just from the way that they approach pressure, I think, is very interesting. Um, I just think if you're a defense built around blitzing, you just – like it has a shorter shelf life, in my opinion. Like you, ha- I think you have to find ways to be a, a team that relies on four to get pressure. And I think most, for the most part, we've seen that be the case when it comes to teams that win the Super Bowl and things like that. Like Spags is certainly at his times as a blitz heavy guy, but he's also known when to dial it back. And they've obviously prioritized rushers too in terms of the way they've drafted and signed free agency and Chris Jones and all that stuff. So I, I think there has to be some level of balance. But I am intrigued to see what a Nielsen like defense can do. And now that they have these guys too, it's like. What is Class Campbell left in the tank? I have no idea. Like he's declined for three years now, so you would think not much, but they don't need him to be everything either. Right. I like on your. He's declined, and he's still like the best dude Grady Jarrett's played with in like five years. Exactly. I'm so happy for Grady Jarrett, by the way, that yeah. he just gets to look around and be like, "Oh my god, I'm no longer alone." Uh, yeah, even yeah, just have some guys his age is probably fun. <laughs> yeah, they can hang out on I mean, on is still pretty good. Uh, yeah. Caden Ellis is a really he he really broke out last year as a pass rusher. Yeah. I think it's just, there's just still holes. What about corner. the young guys too? Like they've yeah. drafted a lot, like Ebikite, yeah. D'Angelo Malone. Like, are any of these guys going to be the guys? Zach Harrison's not going to chance to be that guy. Like, are, are they all just going to be kind of rotational guys? Is that enough piecing it together like that? Maybe, but I tend to still think there's pretty significant questions with their pass rush. Maybe Nielsen can get it done, but as a guy who hasn't been a blitz heavy guy, I think he's going to eventually need an upgrade in talent. He yes. said this year, I want guys that are going to be able to come in and just run the stuff that I want to run and get what I'm saying when I tell them to do it so they can teach the young guys. So to me, this isn't necessarily the year to judge them by. The floor is higher, but the ceiling is still pretty low for me with this D-line. I think that's a really good point because we're kind of just assuming what Nielsen wants to do is just what based on what the Saints did. And so we assume he wants to play more man coverage. We assume he wants to get pressure with four. I don't know if they have the dudes. That's your point right now. Um, I still think this I mean, team not is not if Jeff Okuda is starting. <laughs> yeah. Well, he might not. I don't even know yeah. who. I mean, God, Trey yeah. Flowers. Yeah. Uh, it's it's tough, but um, they'll be better, and the offense will be really, 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 really fun and really, 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 really weird. All right, mm-hmm. let's come back and talk about uh, the two teams I have in like the second half. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, 
and keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See Caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling one 800 Gambler, that's 1-800-426-2537, or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Okay, we are back, and we are going to talk about the Carolina Panthers. Mm-hmm. Um, who, you know, I, I have in the second half, I think the defense is going to be fun and feisty, but, it, I, you know, this year is not really about content, in my opinion. You know, you, you really just want to feel good about your number one pick. Let's start there. Let's start with the offense. Uh, I assume you watched Bryce. He did like two drives uh, week one. He looked like Bryce Young. Uh, That was my takeaway. Uh, I thought one thing that I thought was really notable, uh, especially compared to a lot of the other rookies and young quarterbacks we were watching around the NFL, is how quickly he gets that ball out. And, you know, that's something he was good at in college, um, on throws less than 2.5 seconds, he had the lowest off-target rate of any of the top rookie quarterbacks. This was sort of what we you know when when the Panthers drafted him, when Frank Reich was you know be coaching him. We we're like, all right, yeah, we know this offense. They want to get the ball out quick. So mm-hmm. be like a lot of RPOs, quick hitting play action. He he hung in there on one on one ball to I think it was actually his first throw to Thielen. He really hung in there, took a hit, mm-hmm. looked fine. Similarly to college. I actually came away from that start feeling exactly the same about Bryce yeah. Young and having concerns, my concerns about the skill players reinforced. Mm-hmm. For sure. Which is I don't think they're good enough. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> they're definitely not. Like, this, <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, it just seems simple to me. Like, this is this team's yeah. just not ready. And people have really tried to be excited about the Panthers for a while. Going into last year, people were really excited. And I certainly get it. And, and they competed. And some would say even by the end of the year, maybe were they even playing over their heads at times, you know, last year. I think it's fair to say that they were. I just think the roster has been grossly like overvalued in recent years. Mm. And now we look at this mm. point and we're like, okay, now we're maybe properly valuing them a little bit as a team. They're still on the rise, but it's going to be all about the future, right? Like this season's about the guys like yeah. Terrace Marshall and some of these kind of guys. Like what are they oh, offensively at least? Like what are they going to prove? Like Equanu and like those are the guys that they need to be able to hit on those picks. They just haven't hit on enough draft picks. Mm-hmm. And like you don't want to keep going back to that all the time with these teams, but it's just such a big part of all this, right? Is So the guys like Mingo and – they have to be able to some develop some of their own talent. I mean, they've tried on the offensive line, and this needs to be a year that some of that happens. I think for that growth for that group, it's been a below average group for years now. Um, you could even say going back to Camp Newton, there's been question marks there. So, like, if we talk about what makes successful teams in the NFL, 
it's the lines and the quarterback, I think, in terms of on-field personnel, or at least have to be a focal point. I'm not saying it's true for every team, but generally speaking, like you need competency there and stability there. They have just had, they haven't had it. So they, this is a big step in that direction, but it's the first step this season to me. Like this is, this is a team that is still very much in the growing process. And Bryce Young is a huge part of that. I think the marriage of Frank Reich and the quarterbacks we've seen him say, at least we can assume that, you know, he said, Oh, Carson Wentz, Phil Rivers, Matt Ryan, like Bryce Young, like they're, they're different in terms of the way that they've won. Like Bryce Young is kind of certainly, I think he's, there's more wide range to the ways he can win for sure. But he's the guy that got out of structure. He made plays down the field. He's this creative quarterback and that hasn't really been Reich's offense, like you said. But my counter to that is why not? Like, why can't Bryce Young succeed in that? Traits wise, talk about a guy who's extremely intelligent, who has a great release, like you said, like is, is quick release and quick decision maker, and he's accurate. Like, those are the traits. It's just come in a different physical form in the past. So I still think he can do it, even if it isn't the most natural transition from what he did in college to, to the NFL. There was a third, the, I think it was the first drive, or maybe it was the second drive, but it was third down. I'm really not trying to put too much stress on the preseason, but you know, it's all we've seen at this yeah, point. Right. I'd like to actually talk about what these guys look like. It was their down ball. Uh, I don't know, it was like a, like a three-step I can't remember, but the ball comes out really, really quick. And LaVisca Chenault is about two yards beyond the uh, first down marker. And I remember the announcers were like, oh, it's like a miscommunication. I'm like, no, it's not. That's Chinook. Look where you are, dude. That point, you know that ball's coming out. And the ball was perfect. And yeah. I, I and I like Chinook. I think there's there's ways to use him. But like I, you know, you can't help but watch that and think, damn, if that was DJ Moore, that that's a first yeah. down, you know? Um and so we'll see. I think it's there are gonna be growing pains this year. I agree with your point about like I, I really think Reich and him, even though he's so different from the quarterbacks he coached. I do think him. And then I am actually interested in seeing this offense, by the way, because it's, it's Thomas Brown comes over from the Rams and everything I've read suggests that you're actually going to see sort of emerging of some of what Sean McVay did, some of what Frank Reich mm -hmm. did. So I'm, I'm curious to see, I think we all assume they're going to lean in pretty heavily to the things Bryce did well in college, but it almost feels like they're going to have to call it, it's not like, I mean, you want to do what Bryce Young does well, but like you almost have to make adjustments based on the weaknesses of the players around mm -hmm. him rather than himself, which feels like a crazy thing to say about a rookie quarterback, yeah. but I'm, I'm high on him and look, the offensive line will play better and they did play better at the end of last season. But um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I just, it's hard. I just wish they were better. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, there's a world maybe in which Mingo becomes great, but I mean, you, people who are excited about Mingo, I get it. But the dude lined up at the wing for Ole Miss, like, and he came out of and he ran routes from the wing, like, and I love, I like Mingo's traits a good bit, but it's hard to make that transition in the NFL, like, as a guy who never got off press coverage or rarely did, and just now has to do lots of different things. Like, there's a creative, fun way to use him if you can do that. But I think with him and with Chark and. You know, even probably at this point in his career with Thielen, you know, there's going to be like a very finite usage for those guys. They're not going to be able to, they have no do it all type of player. So everybody's usage is going to be pretty siloed in my opinion, which and you talk about Chanel, you said there's a specific way to use them. It's probably 
as a running back. And so something like that, though, as like a, like a yeah. knockoff Corderell Patterson type of player. Like, so everybody's going to have like a little bit, like a role that they can maybe play. But the hope is that Mingo becomes a guy that can do more. Obviously, you know, he's a second round pick. We're not going to put too much on him, but you know, that's the hope, I think. And then the hope, I think, with Terrace Marshall is that this is the year that he takes a step looking like one of your top two guys for the future. He, so this is a path. You know, he shows, he, he looked okay yeah. at the end of last year. He did some stuff. Um, Mingo, I feel like, just looks like a number one, so everybody's kind Physically of... Physically, he does, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. It was a, it was a funky offense. Um, I, I, I find myself more... I don't know if I'm more... I'm definitely more optimistic about the defense. I think I'm also more interested in it um, just because it has a unique combination of like players who I really like watching play football and then a new play caller who I think is really good. So I'm very curious to see how those things mesh together. Uh, so... Recap, uh, for those who are not Panthers fans or maybe haven't been paying attention, uh, Ajiro Evero joined, which is kind of surprising because a lot of people thought he was going to be a head coach, uh, you know, uh, coming from Denver where he turned down the interim job. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite underrated, underreported stories in the NFL last year. Um, but so he comes to Carolina. Um, it's uh, a team that sort of took a big dip last year, did have some injuries, Added a couple of veterans, uh, notably Von Bell's signing I really liked. Guys were hurt last year. J.C. Horn, Dante Jackson are two starting corners. Um, uh, they just signed Justin Houston. I, I, I like this. And, and then, of course, the young players who have been really good, Brian Burns, Derek Brown, mm. Frankie Louvu, NFL, NFL Twitter's favorite player. That's my guy. Um, and then Jer- <laughs> he got me. Yeah, yeah. I love Frankie Luvu, man. Watched him play last Jeremy year. Jeremy Chin. I never even yeah, heard of this dude, so. and he was fighting everybody on the field. He's getting felt like yeah. he's fun. I he's one of my most underrated players for this but, year, but I guess he's not. If he's NFL Twitter's favorite, I <laughs> he he. I I think I don't know if I've got this on schedule yet. Solek and I talked about doing Ben Solek, mm-hmm. um, an all hipster. <laughs> team and frankie louvu is definitely first team all i didn't even know i'm so cliche he's on there no No, it's okay um i want to talk about scheme and and talent because uh you know so the assumption is with evero not just assumption i mean i've been reading some stuff you know his quotes and whatnot and what the players are saying uh it's gonna look different this year um notably you know you go from a team defense that last year played a lot of single high a lot of really heavy boxes mm-hmm. to the opposite. Uh, Evero coming from the Fangio Rams mm-hmm. tree, played a ton of quarters mm-hmm. in Denver, a lot of light boxes. Um, so I think what I'm so intrigued by is just to see how the existing players fit in that. Mm-hmm. Derek Brown is a guy that people keep uh, spotlighting as someone who could really benefit from playing defensive end. Uh, there, but I actually think like all of the player, a lot of the players fit pretty well. The what, and actually, I was when I when when they Evero took the job, I was like, okay, they just need a safety, and then they signed Vonda. I was like, all right, cool. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, you know, you're counting on Horn and Jackson, who by the way looked really good pre- the preseason game, mm-hmm. to uh, play well and be healthy. But I I do think there's a universe in which this all like kind of works out pretty well. Well, to me, they have. Uh, uh, probably what we're getting pretty close to being, I'm going to call Derek Brown a star. So that's a good place to start, which yep. just didn't look like the case two years ago. You talk about again, like just like Atlanta, like some of these guys not giving them up on them early has really helped teams. There was a time, I think Derek Brown got sat down his second year in the league and it was like, this guy might be on his way yeah. out. And now like, if you watch this, I mean, you, I'm sure you, I know you saw him last year, but if listeners watched his tape last year at all, 
or study him or focus on him at all. I mean, he was a monster. he was a monster. Like there were games. I mean, just, I remember the Bucks game, like Tristan Wirfs and Ryan Ramchick and some of these guys, top tackles, top linemen in the league. And he's like throwing these guys like he physically and most of it's against the run, but the, the flashes against the pass are there as well as a rusher. So he's getting to the point where he's probably like a tier two D tackle now, but it, there's no question like his tier one kind of fades out maybe in the next couple of years, like with Donald and Hayward, and some of these guys getting older, although they're still pretty good now. Like I think Brown could be one of those guys moving into tier one. And then just if you look at the rest of the roster, like I think JC Horn could be like the breakout player of this season in the NFL. I love him. But the the question has been the health, right? That that's the big question mark. Can he bounce back from that? But think about this: this is we're talking about Evero with the way he got to work with Sertain and Horn now from the same draft. Both yeah. of them have looked great, and I think he got the most out of Sertain. I think he's going to get the most out of Horn. The zone scheme stuff and just the way Horn anticipates routes. I think it's going to be a huge year for him. What happens with Jeremy Chin? That's a big question mark. He is like, could be, could he be like the perfect piece for this defense, or is he just does he have no home now that Von Bell's here? Like. What really is he? It would be great if he could be like a free safety or something like that or your nickel back. I just don't know what he is. Like people get excited I about him. I think he's going to play nickel. I think he's. they definitely want him closer to the box. Mm. This is one of those – or I, I was trying to find quotes from him and mm. sort of read camp reports to just see how he's being used. It is really funny in the NFL. I feel like there's all these like do-it-all players that are so, – like it, it can work or it can go horribly wrong and it's, so much of it depends on coaching. Like the – you know, you have teams like the Patriots where they seem to find the exact mm-hmm. perfect usage for every player, every versatile player in the league. And then you have a team like Arizona where they're still trying to figure out how the heck they want to use Isaiah Simmons and, and Saban yep. Collins. Um, Horn is, I love him. I think he's so good. I, I'll i be curious to see, you know, he. you allude to the fact that I think he, he is pretty scheme. I think he played both man and zone, but he's so good in man coverage. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's such, that's an important for these Fangio defenses. That's important. They're, they're, it's not just, Oh, we're going to sit back. We're going to play quarters and cover two and, and, you know, be passive. They, there are certain iterations that do play a lot of man coverage situationally. And I think having a guy like him, who is a, I believe a true shutdown press man corner, who yep. you know teams are you and you see that it shows up in the in the stats uh just in how how rarely he's targeted when he when they when he plays that um I think there's a potential to to for this to be like oh this is the defense that was in the 20s last year and leaps into even the top 10 you know if if all of those things go mm-hmm. right so yeah and you I'm excited yeah. I I think it'll be good oh I mean and and you've got Burns, who's you know you know he's going to be doubled as a sack guy. You know you, there's maybe concerns with the all around game, but you know he's going to be uh, that kind of a guy. And then the question is, does anybody else on this defensive line step up? Getting Justin Houston and wasn't an accident. Like they recognize yeah. that if this is going to be like a a group that a, that teams can't key on Brian Burns every single play, it's not going to be Utah Gross Matos that's bringing that. So. That's a knock on, on on a player that they probably really needed to be hitting by this point. That was a that was a pick that I know a lot of people thought was a steal of the second he, round, and because he was getting mocked in the top well, fifteen. I, I didn't notice. I didn't mention him when I talked about like no. all these players fit so well with the scheme. Right. Like he doesn't. No, he's just not a three four. It's not. Like it just yeah. doesn't. It's not. It's a tough fit for him, and so there will be some weeding out of players like that. Who and hopefully Chin's not one of those players because I think the the. Uh, like the prototype is exciting and you'd love to see it used well. But like you said, a lot of the time we get excited about the potential, but then we look at the reality and it's, it doesn't really match. And so with woods and bell there, 
it doesn't really seem like Chin has a natural place in the starting defense unless he becomes a linebacker. And I don't know that even then he would have one with Shaq Thompson and Luvu there. So it's going to be an interesting year for some of those pieces. They're finding their way, though, on both sides of the ball, I think. They have purpose. They have an agenda that they're moving toward. They're finding their way. But it just doesn't seem like it's going to be this year where they find it. Well, I could see, like, if they're playing Atlanta, which they will twice a year, Chin as the big nickel yeah, yeah. being a pretty pretty useful mm-hmm. player. So right. coaching coaching's going to matter a lot. All right. Uh, let's wrap with the Bucks. The world status quarterback competition. <laughs> so I actually hadn't been following camp reports. And then I, I think it was my friend Greg Rosenthal was like, dude, Trask might start. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? The, the reporting from the summer, I guess, indicated that he was that this was he was gaining ground. Uh, week one looked like Baker Mayfield's the quarterback. That was my takeaway from watching. Not to say that he looked awesome, although he made a couple of good throws and that's who Baker Mayfield sure. is. He will make a couple of good throws. He has a nice arm. Uh, I just, you look better than Trask to me. So I don't know. You're more dialed into this team than I am. Do you have any sense on what direction they're going to go in? I mean, it seemed, it, I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine watching that and thinking Trask could overtake Baker. Yeah. I said the other day on Twitter, I think they're like a 10 and seven starting lineup type of team with like, three and 14, maybe four and 13 quarterbacks. I don't know. Like they just don't, the quarterbacks just aren't what you need. Like they just, you know, they're just not, I mean, Baker, yeah, he's probably going to start and it'll be okay for a while. Just like we've seen his last couple stops and it'll be okay for a while. Then it, Teams will solve them like they always do, and they'll kind of it'll kind of run its per, run its time. I think so. This isn't the year for Tampa Bay, but I hesitate to say they're moving in the wrong direction either. I think there was this tendency for people to say last year, "Oh, they're too old, and now they need to shed some of that age and rebuild the roster." Well, the problem was a lot of the players that were too old were players that were playing very ancillary roles for that team: Logan Ryan, yeah. Keanu Neal, Akeem Hicks. Like, okay, that raised the average median age of the team, but it wasn't we're not talking about a team that was old and a lot of important positions. They have a lot of young, talented players. So it made it really kind of impossible to like rebuild that way. Like they weren't really at a place with players like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, who were like still really, really good players to like fully rebuild. I mean, Tristan Wirfs and you think about players like that and they just signed Jensen to this contract and then there was the injury. So there's no market for a guy like that at this point. And he still hasn't participated in camp really. So there's questions about whether he'll, I guess, play at this point, like at least be ready for the season. And so, I mean, those are legitimate questions. Like we're talking about a team that has legitimate questions that have come because of injury. And today Russell Gage gets carted off. And I think there was some reports that that injury looks like season ending. And so injuries are a huge part of what has happened for the Bucs since they won the Super Bowl. I mean, you think back to Chris Godwin's injury and how close they were to that Rams in the playoffs and everything like that. Like that, those, those have been a big part of kind of their stories of the past couple of seasons. If that continues, this team doesn't have much hope for this season because if you look at look at just on our lot, like look at their depth chart. They're one of the thinnest teams in the entire league right now. And they did it by shedding mm. a lot of those old heads that were there last year, like Logan Ryan and all those guys I was talking about. They just let those guys go and they just, like a normal team drafted like fifth and sixth rounders. So they're not like spending, like getting all those minimum contract guys, or those yeah. low end contract guys to fill in the holes. They're just saying time for young players to develop. So if guys get hurt, they're just going to buy fully into like, we're playing young guys. We're seeing if we can get better. We're seeing what we have in our last three drafts. And if we don't like it, we're putting them all on the chopping block next year. And we're bringing in new guys and we'll, and we'll cut them if we need to, but that's the approach they're taking to this season. Do, do you wish I hear you about the off season and sort of the limitations and 
it they were in such a weird place mm-hmm. with the roster because of you know the, the the Bucks are kind of like what if the Saints didn't Saint so hard yep. exactly right <laughs> from a front office standpoint. Do you wish that there was another move that they had made at quarterback, whether that be signing a different free agent or even trading up in the draft or drafting a guy at all? Like, is there anything you wish they had done? Because it is, I think you nailed it when you said this is a 10 and 17 with a three and quarterback situation. Um, or three and 14. <laughs> I can never remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, like, do you, was there something you wanted them to do? No, I, I think that's that's was the hard part yeah. about this. I think for Bucks fans to realize is that if when Brady retired, it was going to be a bumpy road for at least a year or two, and that's what it's going to be. You know, they they went to the cap, they approached the cap like a you know like a, a chilled out version of the Saints. You know, they were they were spending over, and their cap doesn't look good for this year. You know, for sure, it was it was a tight battle to kind of get where they needed to be but again a lot of those players it's like they're not going to help us anyway right now so the geo bernards and all those types of players it's kind of easier to let those guys walk and a lot of the key players are still here the problem is there's no depth hardly at all and they've lost a couple pieces like the offensive line for example has more question marks than it did a year ago but you know moving on from donovan smith to me they've made pretty much all the right moves i think it's a matter of getting the draft picks to hit again which will happen if you're drafting a little bit higher. It's going to happen because I think Jason Light's one of the best evaluators of talent in the entire league. I think his draft history when he was in any type of position to be compared to other GMs proves that. And his free agency evaluations as well. I mean, the guy's hardly given out a bad contract in free agency since early in his tenure. I mean, go look at all the different moves he's made. There's hardly any big money move. You know, people point to Fournette. Even that was a contract he could get out of with minimal damage. And so he's avoided paying running backs. Like He's smart. He understands how to team build. To me, the best approach to this year was to find somebody who could compete with Trask, see what you have in Trask, pick high, hope you can get a quarterback for the future. It's a hope for every team. You can't you can't tank in the NFL like in the NBA. And so it's just too many moving parts to really be able to do that well. But the hope is that they are able to be in a position where they can draft a top quarterback next year. I don't know if that's at four or a 10 or where that comes, but that has to be the hope. The ceiling on this team is very low, I think. There's a very like narrow path for this team to be even in the playoff mix this year. But I think the floor for the team is, is pretty low. Like They could be in that top five. I feel kind of similarly to them how I feel about Minnesota from a Minnesota I think is a much better team and I think mm-hmm. her cousins is a bunch better quarterback but I just want to be more so from a like what are you going to do next year yeah. perspective cuz um the bad teams in the NFL are so bad right now so when I look at teams like Minnesota or like Tampa that could end up with similar records mm-hmm. by the way I'm like ooh are you going to be are you going to have the move that you're going to be in position to get one of those, t- you know, this is right now, there's two guys obviously at the top of the draft in Williams and May, but you're going to be, are you going to be able to make a move next year? But again, that's, it's really hard. And, you know, we just saw Carolina do a big trade to go from, I think it was nine to one. Mm-hmm. Right. So you just never know. It's really always impossible to predict what next year brings. Um, and, you know, like, if a team like Arizona has the first two picks, it's open. It's open for business. So mm-hmm. you just you just don't know where things will go no. from a quarterbacking perspective. I think I, I largely like I, I um, when I think about this team and what success looks like when they're in such a weird spot where like the roster is like kind of good but bad at quarterback mm-hmm. and thin. I think is the kind of the sort of tagline. Right. Uh, you just need a couple of those young players to hit to feel good. That's how. If I was a Bucks fan. For me, success this season would be like 
Cansey looks great. Yeah. Or maybe Tryon Shinka finally puts it together mm-hmm. and starts touching quarterbacks. For sure. Uh, <laughs> like, just, you know, or maybe Yaya Diaby. You just, you just want, yeah. like, a couple of those young guys to look really good. Maybe uh, Gidecki, who was Gidecki awful last year, it was, is good at right tackle. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. You, you just want, like, two things with young players sure. to, to sort of bridge to that next step. And there's, I mean, who's going to lead this team like for the future? Like is, is yeah. Todd Bowles going to be that guy or not? Like we have to, like, I think everybody likes Todd Bowles as a defensive mind. As players certainly love him as a defensive coordinator. I don't think there's any question there. The track record with Todd Bowles as a head coach is, is not good. And in some of that, you could say the Jets yeah. weren't good enough and there were issues there, you know, beyond that. But last year was just a, a complete disaster. Like they should not have been as bad as they were last year. And although there's certainly time to turn the page on some of those pieces, Last year was embarrassing. I mean, that was the team that was far too much talent to be wasted like that. And so the p- biggest question mark to me with Bulls is in-game decision-making and ability to, like, wh- what is his philosophy as a head coach? What does he want to do? And I know you're, you're making that face because it's like, this is the most conservative in-game decision-maker, basically. In there the was league. a game where him and Dennis Allen were just having, like, a, <laughs> oh. a just terrible decision off, and yes. it was just so – I was like, oh, my God, I feel yeah. so bad for both He He, he right buys now. into nothing from a new-age approach offensively in terms of analytics yeah. and numbers and things like that to be a, any type of a guidance for him. So because of that, he has to have nailed – this offensive coordinator hire. Yeah. And we just know so little about Dave Canales that it's just fa- going to be fascinating yeah. to see what this is. Well, that was actually what was going to be my next question because you can't really take away from preseason that mm-hmm. much. You know, I was watching, I was thinking like, okay, you know, is he a little wide zone, play yeah. action, yeah, under center, right. what, what are we seeing here, you know? Um, Pretty simple. And, and the thing, yeah. you know, it's preseason week one. Uh, and, and then it's also like if Baker's your quarterback, you have to call a very specific kind of offense, frankly, that, yeah maybe is not everything he wants to do. I, I will say about Canales too, like he was in Seattle for a long time as a quarterbacks coach, played with a lot or coached with a lot of different coordinators. So I, you can't assume like, okay, Waldron, that's going to be the influence. Right. What Waldron did last year. I mean, maybe, but um, it, you just, it's just kind of an unknown, mm-hmm. frankly. So I, I my hope uh, for the Bucks is that the offense looks different from how it did last year. It was one of my least favorite offenses to watch yep. in the entire NFL. Right. My hope is that they find a way to fix the run game. I think if they do go more to the outside zone, uh, White is a pretty good fit for that. I don't know if the blocking will hope yeah. will work. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> you know, it's taken a bunch of guys that have been. I mean, the scheme was more diverse as time went on and under Aaron's, but I mean, it was mostly a gap scheme for a long time. And then asking them to be outside zone blockers, there's going to be learning curves there. And if you watch the preseason game one against the Steelers, uh, you could see those learning curves, like where guys' steps even are. Like a lot of yes. this is is new stuff. But I mean, they brought in Cody Mock because they said this is a guy coming from a wide zone scheme in North Dakota State who can fit into this and help us make this transition. And that's going to take time. Robert Ainsley looked like he had no idea what he was doing after a pretty solid year last year in their scheme. This year, this new scheme looked like he was totally overwhelmed in, in the first preseason game. And so, yeah, there's learning curves to this. Like there's going to take time for some of this stuff. To me, the biggest question marks is what is the passing game going to look like? Like what kind of an offense is Because you mentioned it. Tons of different offensive coordinator influences. And Canales, I thought, like, I don't know how to judge him yet, but his first presser was really encouraging in that he was very transparent about what he'd learned from all the different offensive minds that he'd drawn from. And he did seem to lean toward Shane Waldron being the biggest influencer for him over the last couple of years, like, or last year, just seeing like how that offense worked, especially with the pieces they had. So I know, yeah, fingers crossed, like, hopefully that would happen. The biggest. Well. 
to me, like it would be like, what happens? This is a Bucks team that was in empty last year. They were 29th in percentage of their snaps from empty last season. I think I think that was all downs and not just first. But Seattle was tied for first. So that's a huge philosophy yeah. difference right there. Is is this team going to spread the football when to throw and spread the football to run? That would be unheard of in Tampa Bay. It certainly didn't look like that was going to be the case in preseason game one. But I also I wouldn't put too much emphasis on that. They were going heavy personnel. The Seahawks also were a very heavy 12 personnel team. They, yeah, uh, no. Nah. Coquif. No, 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 no. The Bucs just can't do that. Like I saw him drop a ball in the preseason. I was like, no. <laughs> it's, no. Look, it's, yeah, it just doesn't work. No, or Tom Brady. Right. You're talking about a team <laughs> that, I mean, Seattle did that, and I don't know that they had, like, all these yeah. tight ends that were, like, so amazing. But the, They're better than what you got. <laughs> the Bucks room right now is brutal. Like, I mean, you're hoping Kate on hits, but, like, uh, it's – it's yeah. a very like what is going to happen? Play action. Tom Brady, sixteen percent of his dropbacks last year were play action. That was like bottom of the league. It was embarrassing. But Geno Smith was over twenty five percent. Does he draw from that a ton? Is that something that I think he will? Right, and that he did. By he the did. way, in the preseason game, I, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, for yep. really his play action, <laughs> the, the boot stuff. He got the quarterback out in space. Like yeah. it was like easy to find reads. Receivers coming from the backside into space. Well, it was like this is we never saw this. So all that all that stuff does jive with stuff we've seen Baker do yeah. well at points in his career. So assuming he is the quarterback, we'll see. I, I again, I don't want to over mm-hmm. the overreacting to a week one of preseason seems to be the theme of a lot of my opinions today. <laughs> Uh, he looked like an, he looked like the NFL quarterback, and uh, all the things you're describing, which are sort of shared DNA, you know, you can you can kind of trace it. You're like, okay, Waldron, Rams, mm-hmm. Browns, you know, it's just yeah. a little bit of a, I don't know, man. Uh, it's a weird team. I uh, and I find them very hard to project yeah. because I think there's like there's just too many good players for them to be awful. But the quarterback, and, there are too many good players, but quarterback and coach are so important and it just feels like they might not have either right right now and that makes it hard like to me that that can take down a pretty good roster with it especially as some of the better players do get a little bit older and injuries too that's the other thing injuries will probably happen it's happened a lot to this team over the last couple years since the super bowl and look at their defense i mean it is ridiculous they don't have any backup corners they don't have any no. backup safeties. They don't have any backup it's, linebackers. Like they have nothing. It's yeah. So, I do a thing. So yeah, when I go through the depth charts, I interrupt you. I, I will. I always write down like who the starters, and then I try to no- point out yeah. like notable backups. And it is literally just blank, blank, blank. <laughs> Except for like pass rush, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of interested in seeing Diaby. But like other than that, there, like, it yeah, is Nelson. Christian Izine is leading the nickel competition. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm pretty in this thing. I don't know who that is. Like, you know, so I mean, I'm sure we'll find out, and I'll, I'll do my homework, obviously. And I think he played decently, but it's it's you know what I mean. Like, it's just the starters are good yeah. though. The starters are like this is these are good corners. I, mean, uh, I think Ryan Ryan Neal's a good safety. Yeah. Anton Winfield finally back at safety. Those are good players. Right. Vitaev is awesome. Like, I it's just how do you project a team where quarterback and offensive coordinator are massive question marks and if anyone gets hurt they're screwed right. and it's like oh i don't i don't know i don't know how to how to do a projection yeah. for i mean that. some of the it's margin really moves weird. they made this past obviously with almost no cap space and wiggle room like greg Gaines for a small contract yeah everybody would take that right good player like, ryan neal good player, good player. Like, also nobody was interested in ryan neal the year yeah. last year like there's a lot of moves with matt filer like if you're talking about a guard and with tackle flexibility for cheap, like, so they made a lot of these really low under the radar moves that to me just say like good talent evaluator, good talent evaluator, good talent. And I think over time that will always win out 
but they are in a transition stage right now. And if you don't have the quarterback or the head coach, you can be the best talent evaluator in the world. Like if you don't have those, they're not in position to pick those, select those, or get those, those two pieces in the door, then there's just going to be such a huge, significant, clear lid on what you're able to accomplish as a franchise. And right now they're run up against the crux of that problem where they still have a lot of talent and they've continued to add nice pieces around the margins for like at least a, a quality, competent starting lineup. But injuries, quarterback, head coach continue to be the three things that I think, with especially with Jensen already being hurt and Russell Gage getting hurt today when they have no proven depth at wide receiver, they're big question marks there. Trey Palmer Hive. Come on. I am Trey Get Palmer on board. Yes, I, I agree with <laughs> Get you on board. on that, Mina. Go Big Red. I'm completely with he you. He looks awesome. <laughs> he looks great. He he, he looks incredible. Yeah. And I like I like him in college too. All right. I feel like I have a little bit better of understanding in the NFC South. I do. I stick by my original feels like two tiers, how those tiers shake out uh, are dependent on a couple of things. That sigh you just had is pretty representative of discussing the (laughs) NFC South for an hour. (laughs) They all, they all have easy schedules too, which again, they get to play each other. Right. But that throw even beyond that. So we shall see. I'm excited. I'm excited to watch all of these teams because of the changes that coaches and quarterback um and i'm so excited you came on thank you so much this was fantastic everybody check out john ledyard the places we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast also on twitter send out links show will be on youtube um and i'll be back early next week because we're back to two times a week thank you so much absolutely thanks for having me